It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS. Twitter.tv slash AJ Nick3. Maybe we'll do like a Champions League stream midweek. Maybe next week. That could be fun. I just thought of that. Because when I think, when I say the Twitch. I'm like, hmm, what can I do? Oh, yeah, Champions League. Okay, so maybe we'll do a Champions League semifinal watch. Maybe we'll do that stream. I don't know. I'll think about it. Anyway, uh, big pod because we are back talking about the NFL at the top of the show with an NFL draft preview and uh, look at the storylines of what will unfold from Thursday to Saturday through rounds one through seven. Very exciting. The NFL draft, kind of that. Yeah, we've had free agency. But the draft is kind of like where you're like, okay, here's our team, you know, because you might fill a hole or two with a draft pick or take a shot, um, trade up or go get a vet or something. We've seen that over the course of the last few years where veterans have been traded uh, just because the teams are active on these few days. So could see that. Um, But that's what we will talk about at the top of the show with a full NFL draft preview. So we'll do that. We'll do a midweek soccer recap where Arsenal have bottled it. I mean, I, I I told you that this game would be monumental in the title race because even if Arsenal won, yeah, City would still be nipping at their heels with the two games at hand, but they would be in control. Arsenal would be in control. So if they won out and or matched City's results, they would win the title. But for them, it was already lost because the last three results have been very, very poor. So... We'll recap uh, midweek soccer action between the uh, English Premier League, the Premier League, and uh, La Liga in Spain. So we'll do that. Then we'll look ahead to the weekend soccer preview, touch on a little standing cup playoffs, and then do a little golf with a very, very light field in the Mexico Open. So could be uh, somebody's chance to get their first career win, which would be very, very cool. So um, we'll end the show with that because there is no Mando episode to talk about at the end of the show. So... <laughs> I'm not watching any other shows right now, so no uh, TV show to talk about at the end of the pod. So anyway, we'll do NFL draft preview and storylines, midweek soccer recap, weekend soccer preview, Seneca playoffs, and more. So kick it off with an NFL draft preview. And this is, you look at reports, you look at mock drafts, you, you kind of study what the prognosticators are looking at for this draft and it's one of the more mysterious drafts we've had in a long time. There's no real consensus number one overall pick because there's no consensus top quarterback. And there's a possibility that five quarterbacks could be taken on Thursday night in the first round. So not only do we not know the top overall player, we don't know the top quarterback and there's so many quarterbacks that they could all go on Thursday night. The five that we're talking about. So there's no top consensus quarterback. There's no top consensus wide receiver. A lot of votes split there across a, a bunch of guys. No one really knows who or when the first offensive player will be to get drafted because there could be some trades early and often on Thursday night. So, so much is a mystery ahead of this draft. So let's take a look at the first round order. Chicago had the number one overall pick, but Carolina came up and got it. 
So the Panthers will pick first. The Texans will pick second. Cardinals in the three-hole. The Colts are in the four-hole. The Seattle Seahawks are in the top five via the Russell Wilson trade and the Denver Broncos. Detroit Lions have a pick at six from the Rams, the Matt Stafford trade. Vegas in the seven hole, Atlanta eight. Chicago went from one to nine. Carolina gave them the ninth pick overall. Philly is at 10. That's from uh, New Orleans, the trade between the teams ahead of last season's draft. Tennessee has the 11th pick. Houston is sitting in the 12th spot, courtesy of the Cleveland Browns and the Sean Watson trade. Packers and Jets flip 13 and 15, a part of the Aaron Rodgers deal. So the Packers are at 13, Pats at 14, Jets at 15. Commanders at 16, the Pittsburgh Steelers are picking 17th overall. Lions, their second pick of the first round at 18. Tampa Bay Bucks at 19. Seattle, their second pick of the first round at 20. Chargers at 21, Ravens 22, Vikings 23, Jags 24. The New York Football Giants have the 25th pick. The Dallas Cowboys have the 26th pick. Bills 27, Cincinnati 28, and the 29th pick is the New Orleans Saints. It was San Francisco's pick that was sent to Miami, um, and then it was part of the Chubb trade that was sent as compensation from uh, to Denver, and then Denver to New Orleans in the Sean Payton trade. So originally... San Francisco's pick, then uh, went to Miami, then went to Denver, now finally in New Orleans at 29. 30, the Philadelphia Eagles, 31, Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get to why there's only 31 in a sec, but let's talk about the QB rankings. Mine, it's very simple. I thought Bryce Young at Alabama just displayed so much in leadership, in skill set, in mentality, Um He's my number one quarterback in this draft. An excellent, excellent player. Um, A guy willing to leave it all out there in big games. Constantly coming from behind at Alabama, which is very difficult to do because, like, they're never supposed to be losing. So when they get, like, you know, they get very down on themselves. So I I thought for for me it's very simple. I understand he's short or all these – that doesn't matter as much anymore. It really doesn't. It really doesn't because of the rules that are in place, uh, because of the systems that are being run. A lot of the time, the ball is getting out of these guys' hands very quickly, very quickly. So uh, Bryce Young is my number one quarterback. Then I'm going to put C.J. Stroud. He impressed me at Ohio State in a lot of games. Now, he definitely wants a couple games back. I think that's obvious, right? But he impressed me enough to be the second-ranked quarterback in this draft. And I understand people have him first. Fine, I don't. I just don't. I I thought he's displayed uh, good leadership. But then in big the big games against Michigan, um, not enough. Not enough. So he's behind Young for me. Will Levis, who uh, a guy that I love his mentality. I love that he's a gamer. I love that he leaves it all out there for whatever team he's on and whatever guys are his teammates. I think a lot of guys rally around that. Uh, you saw it with Kentucky and, and him be a leader in that program and turning it into a winner with Coach Stoops. So I really like Will Levis. I understand people knocking him, um, but I think he could be a quarterback at the next level. That's for sure. And Anthony Richardson, 
I understand the the combine stats and now the pro day st- the workouts and all. I watch college football. I, I guess a lot of people still don't watch college football because Anthony Richardson, though he is wildly talented, okay, he failed to deliver time and time again for that Florida Gator team. And I don't want to hear that he wasn't surrounded with good. Florida always gets kids. Florida always has talented teams and good skill position players. I don't want to hear it about supporting cash when it comes to Florida, okay? And Anthony Richardson. So I do recognize that he is talented. I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying he's not talented. I'm not saying any of those things. What I'm saying is in many opportunities in a really, really great league in college, he did not prove to me that he was a big enough winner. And if you're going to say, well, it's a team game, it, it is. You're right. But especially at the collegiate level, the quarterback can not only win you games, but win you a title. I mean, you saw it with Auburn, with Cam Newton. You've seen it a bunch of times. Like Vince Young in Texas, you've seen quarterbacks absolutely take over at the collegiate level and just say, I'm not being denied. And I'm not asking Anthony Richardson to win a title at Florida. That's not what I'm saying. But he did not do enough for me at the collegiate level, at that position to say, yeah, top quarterback over a Bryce Young, over a C.J. Stroud, over a left. And I'll tell you what, if Hennon Hooker was 100%, I'd have him over Anthony Richardson. He showed me a lot at Tennessee. He really did. He beat out the guy that was there. Okay. He throws a really good deep ball. And I have him behind Richardson just because of the injury. It's unfortunate, but I do. And I, I, I understand that could be unfair, but I just have to have him there. But for me, it's really simple. Bryce Young is the first. CJ Stroud is second. And then you can start, like, maybe you can put Richardson ahead of Levis. I wouldn't, I would understand it. I don't agree with it. I would understand it. Okay, I, I, I would not agree with it. I would say, I think you're wrong here, but I get where you're coming from. But Richardson, to me, just didn't do enough. And to have people be like, I have him over Bryce Young. How? Did you watch? Are you just watching pro days and looking at combine stats and watching film in a vacuum and not watching these games where Bryce Young comes from behind in Auburn? Like, on the, what are we doing here? So, I don't know. I have Young, Stroud, Levis, Richardson, Hooker. That's my five quarterback rankings here. Of the top five. How many will go in the top ten. Let alone the first round. It is a very interesting question. And I alluded to this draft. It's a mysterious one. It really is. And it's. I know it's silly to use. Oh it's mysterious. But it is. It truly is. It's a It's a draft that a lot is up for grabs. There's a lot. There's a few quarterbacks. There's th- three to five quarterbacks. A lot of people like. But are there five landing spots. And do those teams come up and get those. Court- it's going to be very interesting to see. So. As we take a look now at some of the picks and the storylines surrounding the picks, Carolina at one. They traded up to one. They're going to get a quarterback for Frank Reich. Um, apparently, the GM walked into Frank Reich's office and asked him what his preferred quarterback was at one, and it was kind of like a proposal, he said. And I said, yes, we have a consensus, and we're excited, end quote. So Carolina knows what they're doing at one. They traded up from nine to one. They gave up a lot. They gave up a very good receiver and DJ Moore. They gave up a lot of draft capital to go get this quarterback. And for me, I think you have to take Bryce Young. I really do. 
Um, if they took C.J. Stroud, I, I would I would disagree with it, but I'd say, okay, they like him more than Bryce Young, fine. Okay, I disagree, but fine. If they take Levis Richards, or Richardson at one, uh, those guys need their head examined. Because one, number one, they didn't have to trade up to one, in my opinion, for either Richardson or Levis. And I understand people be like, well, Richardson was getting action at one. Please. Please, with these people on Reddit that are like, oh, and I, my, my dad is, the, and I heard, like, please, with these anonymous, what are we doing? That swung the conversation the other day. What a joke. So, Carolina obviously going quarterback at one. What does Houston do at two? They have two picks in the top 12. Uh, among the other teams that also have two number one picks. So, it's Houston, Detroit, Seattle, and Philadelphia. So, four teams have two first-round picks. I think they have to take a quarterback. Schefter says they're getting calls about 12, but not two. I really think they should either take a quarterback or trade out. Because a team's going to call them about two on draft night. If they're not talking to teams already about two. Because there are going to be teams that want one of these quarterbacks. And says, okay, that's our guy. We got to go get him right now depending on what Carolina does, right? Because the run on quarterbacks could theoretically go quite early, um, that run. So, Houston, number two overall, number 12 overall. Not a lot of talk about trading two right now. There is a lot of talk about trading 12. I I think they have to take a quarterback. I, I really do. Unless... They don't like Stroud or Richardson that I don't know. I think they have to take a quarterback. But so that kind of starts the oh, this team can move out cuz Carolina's not going to trade to one and then trade out. That's just not that just doesn't happen, right? So Houston at 2, once we know what Carolina does, does that make it more clear for Houston to either move out or or get a quarter like it's going to be very interesting the the early the top five in the top ten in this draft, not a lot of people agree on the prospects. And I wonder who values who and who values what draft pick and who thinks they're going on what board. Because Arizona at three, what do the Cardinals do? Kyler Murray has been begging the Cardinals front office to draft a lineman in the first round to help him out. And they've gone defense with those picks. And they really haven't turned out that great. Um Simmons is a good player. I'll take that back. But some of the other ones haven't turned out great. For them, at least. So, Arizona at three. Not going to get a quarterback, of course. But do they start answering the phone and be like, hey, yeah, we'll trade out. We'll trade. Yeah, come get a, come get a, come get your guy at three. We'll trade out. Indy, you saw Ursay at four the other day tweeting like a crazy man. Like, who do we do? What do we do? Do we trade up? Do we trade down? Do we take a quarterback? Do we not take a quarterback? Do we take? He's like. I don't know what the hell the Colts are going to do it for, but they have to take a quarterback. Now, are they going to say it goes quarterback, quarterback, Arizona takes or trades out, another team gets a quarterback, Indy sitting there, you know, whether it's Richardson or Levis or whoever, like who's ever left, do they just say, yeah, we'll take him. Yeah, that's our guy. We wanted him all along. It's going to be very interesting to hear the conversation around that Indianapolis pick, especially if it's a quarterback, especially if it's the second or third quarterback taken at four. If it's the third or fourth quarterback taken, 
they're going to be lying through their teeth that they're like, we got our guy. There's no there's no shot. You got your guy. Okay? So Indy probably has to take a quarterback. Seattle won't take a quarterback, will they? Very interesting spot for Seattle at five. They just gave Geno Smith a nice contract, but that doesn't mean if one falls to them or, you know, at five, do they take a flyer on Anthony Richardson? Do they say, hey, we think we can work with that guy and develop that guy in, in the weight while Geno's playing out this contract for us? So Seattle is an interesting team at five. Detroit probably won't take one. I think they like Goff a lot at six. They could use some help on defense with Hutchinson, that's for sure. So if you get if if Will Anderson is there at six, I would think that would be great for Detroit, to be honest. Who knows what'll be there though? Um Vegas and we touched on McDaniels maybe last show or the show before saying, Hey, just because we got Jimmy G doesn't mean we're not taking a quarterback. And I think that is a smoke screen to say, Hey, if you if any of these guys are there that you want from behind the draft, you better come get him because we might take your guy at seven. I, I think it's a smokescreen to try to get some interest about that seventh pick, depending on who's still there. But I don't think Vegas will take a quarterback after getting Jimmy G in the offseason. They want Jimmy G to be their quarterback for a few years now. To draft a guy and be like, hey, you know, clock's ticking on his rookie contract. So, Jimmy G, it's a couple, you got a couple of years to prove you're the guy, or we're going to. It's the same situation. Like, I don't think they would do that to him. So, Vegas at seven, I don't believe it's a quarterback for them. Atlanta, another intriguing team at eight. They went with Ritter previously. If one of these guys is there at eight, do they take one anyway? It's just valued for for competition to get as many uh, good quarterbacks on your roster as possible in development. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's a lot that could happen in this top ten. Uh, there's teams with multiple first round picks. There's teams with no first round picks. Maybe they try to get in and get a guy. It's this first round. And early in this first round, if it just goes kind of chalky or no trades, I don't think there's going to be any trades, really, the rest of the evening. But if there are trades early, I think we get a lot of trades early and often. I think we could get some vets on the move. A lot of, team, uh, a lot of people talking about New Hopkins, Buda Baker, uh, uh, Byard, the safety from Tennessee, Kinlaw, the D-lineman, Ed Oliver, a good D-lineman, um, Devin White, Trey Lance, a lot of, you know, I don't want to say all vets, but Trey Lance ain't a vet, right? But a lot of guys could be traded, uh, not only as draft picks, so could be a lot of trades. How about the running backs? Where does B. John Robinson go? Him and Gibbs both in the first round. Gibbs out of Bama, I really liked his game. I thought he's a very uh, typical of the Bama speed backs. He's not the Bama power back. You know, they kind of have a couple prototypical guys and a couple hybrids, I would say, but he was kind of the speed back for that Bama offense, and I thought he was a very, very good uh, weapon at the skill position. Now, Robinson, could like he's kind of a throwback running back, and I thought I, 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 it's unfortunate for him that the game isn't the way it was in the 80s and the 90s because he would be a really, really good old-school typical running back where you just bell cow, hand it to him, offset I formation or I formation, hit, pull the guard, run off tackle, go to the other side, run off tackle. Like, that's that's the offense P. John Robinson was playing. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of them anymore. 
if any. So a very a very intriguing position, the running back position, because it is still important. You still have to run the ball in today's NFL. You do. You might not have to run it effectively all the time, but you do have to run the ball. You can't just throw the ball all the time. You can't throw the ball 60, 70 times. You can't do that. You can't do that. You got to run the ball. So the team still value that position as a first rounder. I don't think a lot of teams do. I don't think a lot of teams necessarily value running back as a first round position. Now, should they? If they're that kind of piece away, maybe. But Bijan Robinson Gibbs, I think we could see them later end of the first round in the twenties, maybe a team that thinks they're a piece or two away and a running back really helps. I see those two going there. Wide receiver. I alluded to it before. No consensus top receiver. Smith and Jigba, for me, is the guy. Uh, Johnston's an outstanding player out of Tennessee, uh, TCU. Tennessee, TCU. Hyatt's out of Tennessee, but he's not a day-one guy, in my opinion. Flowers out of BC. Jordan Addison's a hell of a player. I, I would take him on the first round. He's an outstanding wide receiver, in my opinion, out of USC. So I would say Smith and Jigba is the one, the consensus one for me. I'll be honest, I didn't see a ton of Zay Flowers, but I've seen a lot of guys like his build and makeup, so I do think he will be a first-round pick. I just don't I don't know how you could pick him over Smith and Jigba, who had some big games for Ohio State. Now, I understand he sat out basically last season, uh, but you can't really fault him for that in today's college football, especially with the COVID years and all that stuff. Quentin Johnson's a big-time receiver. He's a big-time receiver, and I don't see a ton of people talking about him maybe because he did unfortunately TCU had a tough showing in that natty um but he's an excellent player so if I had to rank him I'd still give Smith and Jigba the top because he's just an outstanding outstanding football player and then I'm kind of split between Johnson and Addison I think Addison's maybe a better route runner but Johnson's just a kind of a athletic you know like a, a great build of a receiver. So I go Smith and Jigba, Addison, Johnson, Flowers. That's how I break it. O-line. Seems like Paris Johnson is the consensus as the top O-lineman. And other guys in the first round, uh, Skaronsky, Jones, and Wright. Those are also uh, a lot of people alluding to first round picks. How about the first defensive player taken? You really thought Jalen Carter had this uh, locked up until some off-the-field stuff after Georgia had won the title and uh, around the combine, as we know. He's the top D lineman interior guy and could be the top defender taken off the board. The edge, there's two guys that are really kind of highlighted, and Will Anderson, for me, you know, I watch a ton of Bama. I bet a ton of Bama, and I when Bama was on defense – you know, usually I watch the quarterback with the ball or, or if I'm looking at a receiver or a line play or whatever, but I would just watch Will Anderson. And even on reps where and snaps where he didn't get to the quarterback, there would be times when the play would go away from him and it was designed to go away from him because they left him one-on-one -on -one and he would just look to make the kid look like a JV player and he was still D1. Like... So he's the edge. He's polished. A lot of people talking about Tyree Wilson coming out of Texas Tech. 
He's very raw at the edge. Now, is he very – I shouldn't say very raw, but he's still raw. He's not a necessarily finished product. He has to develop still. I think a Will Anderson comes into your pass rush, into your package, into your third down situations, and immediately makes an impact in either commanding double teams or reshuffling uh, pass protection. You get um, You can get different matchups along the front if that happens, so – I think Will Anderson is immediate starter for your team, if not a very heavy play rotation guy. Wilson, not so much. I think he gets in, and he's going to have to have a big preseason and develop, so we'll see. DBs first. You can see Witherspoon or Gonzalez uh, be the first DB taking the corners. It's not a great corner draft. Joey Porter Jr. is also a corner, so you can see him in the first round. Um, again, it's not... There's not a lot of talent. There's going to be a lot of gems in this draft, I think. And a lot of teams are going to have their own kind of rankings. And it's going to be interesting to see. Now, off the positions, Miami does not have a first-round pick. It was taken away. So that's why we only have 31 picks. They were Their pick was forfeited in the tampering of Sean Payton. And four other teams also don't have a first-round pick. Cleveland lost theirs in the Sean Watson trade. Denver lost theirs in the Russell Wilson trade. Rams the Stafford trade, and the Niners lost theirs in the, um, they sent it to Miami in one of those trades. So that's how uh, the the teams with no first-round picks. Teams with the most picks overall, Green Bay, Houston, and Vegas have 12. The Rams, the Pats, and the Niners have 11, but the Rams don't pick until the third round, if I'm not mistaken. Chicago, Kansas City, the New York Football Giants, and Seattle have 10. Lions, Colts, Jags, Bucks have nine. Cardinals, Browns, Saints, Commanders have eight. Teams with the least picks. The Miami Dolphins only have four picks. So it's going to be a quiet three days for the Miami Dolphins. Not really doing a ton of business in the draft. They've really acquired their team through free agency um, recently in trades. It really hasn't been a lot of draft. They've given up a lot of draft capital the last few years. Um, the Ravens, the Broncos, the Vikings, and the Jets have five picks. The Bills, Panthers, the Eagles, and the Titans have six picks, and two of the six for the Eagles are in the first round. Uh, Falcons, Bengals, Chargers, Cowboys, Steelers have seven. So those are the highs and lows of the NFL draft. That will start on Thursday with the first round, probably be four hours and finish around midnight because they take forever in the first round, as we know. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, or uh, Tuesday, Thursday. Friday night will be rounds two and three. That's what I meant to say. And then on Saturday, rounds four through seven. So that's the NFL draft preview and storylines. I know Aaron Rodgers got introduced. I know he said the Lombardi is looking a little lonely. I'm here to win a Super Bowl. Uh, all the quotes. Listen, there's going to be a very big honeymoon period here. And if they start off successful, it's going to be great. But I'm just telling you, I don't think this ends well. I don't think this ends with the Super Bowl for the New York Jets. Now, I'm not going to be like, AJ, you're hating on the Jets. Like, I'm really not. I'm re I'm really just trying to tell you how it is because I just think Rodgers, not that he's done. He's obviously still talented, but I just don't love his attitude. I don't love his persona. I don't love what he's kind of become later in his career. And everyone can have their opinion and entitled to opinion, and you can voice it this America. That's fine. But, I don't know, just for me, I'd love my quarterback to just play some football and not go to, like, darkness retreats and not do, like, weird drugs 
I don't know. Is that is that too much to ask? If it's too much to ask, you can say, AJ, hey, in 2023, that's too much to ask. You should you should just let your quarterback be your quarterback and let him do what he wants. Okay, you know what? Maybe you're right. But I don't know. For me, like if Dak tweeted out like, hey, just got out of my darkness retreat, I'd be like, come on, dude. You're quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. What the hell are you doing? So, I don't know. I just think for the Jet fans, I ease into it with this guy. You know, it, it's not the same thing as Brady going to the Bucks. I really hope people understand that. Brady had won a lot before he got to Tampa. Rodgers has won once. And he is an all-time great. He's one of the most talented players to ever play the position. Don't get me wrong. I am not a hater. I think he's an all-time great. A tremendous arm talent. I've loved watching him play. He's killed my team a couple times. Fine. But I'm just saying, last few years, off the field has bothered me a little bit. On the field, it's not like he's playing unbelievably balling out and he's still blaming other people. I don't love that. I don't love that. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. All right, uh, let's go to footy. Midweek soccer recap in the EPL. Crystal Palace and Wolves. Wolves win it 2-0. They got an own goal that started off, and then a Neves pen late in the match sealed the three points for Wolves, a big three points, helping them in the relegation fight. Villa and Fulham. Villa win it 1-0. It was a Tyrone Mings header that gave the Villains the three points at Villa Park. Unai Emery, another big win for the Villains. Leeds and Leicester City at Ellen Road. Sinister, a great finish at the back post. Gave Leeds a 1-0 lead. Ellen Road was jumping and bouncing until Jamie Vardy quieted it. 80th minute equalizer. And honestly, Leicester City should have won the game. They should have won the game. They did not. The points split there. One each. Reflective of the scoreline. One goal each. Forrest and Brighton. Forrest, gigantic win at the city ground for Nottingham Forest. Brighton playing out their games at hand. Um, even with everybody else, they got a lot of games to play. Brighton do. This was one that I think a lot of people just said, okay, we're getting a result here in our top four race. Well, Nottingham Forest thought other things because they went a 3-1. Even though Brandon Johnson's penalty was saved early on and Brighton scored first, Lodi equalized. Danilo gave Forrest a 2-1 lead. And then later in the match, another penalty. This one was converted by Gibbs-White to give Forrest their third goal. And the cushion they needed, 3-1. Forrest wins. West Ham, Liverpool at the London Stadium. Liverpool win at 2-1. Lucas Paqueta, too easy. Good finish, but too easy. Carving through the Liverpool defense to make it 1-0. But quickly, Liverpool responded. Ball in from... Uh, middle of the park towards the attacking area from Trent Alexander-Arnold to Cody Gakpo. Gakpo on the turn. Brilliant strike. Brilliant goal. 1-1. Then West Ham had the ball in the net, but it comes back from offsides. Liverpool get a set piece. Andy Robertson corner. Brilliant ball. Bullet header from Joel Matip. 2-1 Liverpool. That was the final score. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, two assists. In the last two games, one each for both of the fullbacks for Liverpool. So Liverpool trying to win out and cause some chaos in that top four. Chelsea, Brentford, London Derby. Chelsea and Super Frank, the guy that struggled to manage sides to score goals. Up front, he started N'Golo Conte, Gallagher, and Raheem Sterling. And listen, I love N'Golo Conte. I think he's an outstanding player. 
he's not a forward, okay? And Connor Gallagher is not really a forward. He's like a number 10. He's a midfielder, but he's not like a forward and a winger. He's not. And you've got guys like Jao Felix and Pulisic and Ziyech and Aubameyang and Murdoch, who you bring in for big money, and you don't play them, and you play Conte like as a forward. I don't know what the hell Super Frank's doing. If I was a Chelsea fan, I, would, I mean, obviously you just want to end the season at this point and chalk it up because it's been a season from hell, as we know. But at some point, you got to be like, what the hell are we even doing with this lineup? We're not trying to win. And they didn't try to win because Brentford went at 2-0. Own goal got them started. Brentford, Bees did. And then uh, Embuemo with the insurance goal, they went at 2-0. And then really the title decider, I want to call it, because for me it is. Man City and Arsenal at the Etihad. The big calls in the lineup. Xhaka returned for Arsenal, but again, no Saliba. So it was Holding and Gabriel in the back line, but everybody else was pretty fit for Arteta. Now for Pep Guardiola's Man City, the big call, Nathan Ake with a blow to his thigh out of the team. He slides in Kyle Walker, who hadn't really done the role yet that he was being asked to, but he still did it anyway and did a good job. So that was the call for Pep and the call for Arteta. We get to the game, ball over the top, long ball. Holland knocks it down, turns, lays it off to De Bruyne, and De Bruyne makes an unbelievable run and a great finish, and Ramsdale knew nothing about it. The Arsenal defense was very poor, and just like that, very early on, City led 1-0, and the Etihad was bouncing. And chances for both teams, to be honest, Arsenal had some good chances, but City, it could have been 2 or 3-0 by the stroke of halftime. And it ended up being 2-0 after they get a set piece. John Stones heads the ball into the back of the net. Originally rolled offside, but it goes to VAR, and he was onside just so slightly. Uh, John Stones onside on the set piece, so 2-0 just before the stroke of halftime. So Arsenal had to regroup. They didn't. Another combination play after a Arsenal turnover at midfield into their own end. De Bruyne jumps on it, plays Holland. Holland plays De Bruyne. Great finish. De Bruyne gets his brace. Holland gets his second assist. Uh, Rob Holding brought one back for Arsenal as consolation, but then Erling Holland made it a three-goal lead again for Man City after he got his goal um, later in the match. So City have taken control of the title race. Two points back, yes, but two at hand. The treble watch, just like that, is on. They have the uh, Champions League semifinals against Real Madrid. They're in the FA Cup final already against United, and they've taken the theoretical lead, you could say, on the title race, not the points lead yet. Um, but they are on treble watch. The only team to do the treble, as we know, Man United, 1998 to 1999, a very, very special team. La Liga results. Girona and Real Madrid. Girona win it 4-2. The NYCFC Loney Cassianos had four goals, all four, for Girona. Uh, Vinicius and Vasquez score in the loss. Atletico and Mallorca. Atletico wearing their new, uh, I think, away kits for next year, like one of their original kits from back in the day, which is kind of cool. Rodrigo DePaul scored before halftime and celebrated like a madman. He's a psycho, man. He's He's the definition of a guy you'd want on your team and you just don't want to play him because he just looks like he's a warrior and he's going to kick you out all game, which doesn't sound fun. Morata and Carrasco, the other goal scorers. Then Barcelona lost to Rayo Vacano. They were down 2-0. Lewandowski got one back, 80th, I think 87th minute, but they could not get an equalizer nor a winner in that one. All right, we can soccer preview. Continue with some midweek matches here on Thursday. Everton, Newcastle. 
Southampton, Bournemouth, and Tottenham Man U. Everton, Newcastle. Everton need all the points they can get. Newcastle, we know, are fighting for top four. Goodison will be rocking, but Newcastle will go there and probably thrash them, to be fair, because they just thrashed Tottenham at home. I understand Everton are going to be set up to defend with Sean Dyche and not concede a goal and try to stay in the game and, and nip it nil-nil, but I just really don't see that happening, and I expect Newcastle to come out with a big performance at Goodison Park. Southampton, Bournemouth, six-pointer here. Southampton uh, coming off a point against Arsenal where they probably never thought they should have got a point, but they really should have got three, unfortunately, for them, which is going to really haunt them uh, and probably send them down, to be fair. Not just that result, but that result will sting a little harder for sure. Now, Bournemouth with Billing and Solanke up front, like they've developed into this very nice little scoring duo, and I do believe that they will score, and I think Southampton will score. I think this is a draw, to be fair. And Tottenham Man U, more, uh, the, still the injuries for Man U. Martinez, Veron, McTominay, Vanderbeek, Garnacho, all out most likely. They paired Luke Shaw and Lindelof as center backs, um, Ten Hag did in the semifinal against Brighton, and it seemed to work out with the clean sheet there into penalties. So, listen, if they stick with Luke Shaw and Lindelof, Luke Shaw is not a center back. So, I think that at some point will come back to hurt them. When, I'm not sure, but. Tottenham, Ryan Mason taking over. I think he has to go back to the back three because they do not have back four personnel. They don't have a true left back. They don't really have a true right back. Um, I don't really love any of the two center backs together. It's kind of like you need the three to... You need the three of them to kind of care for each other. Two of them isn't enough, okay? But Tottenham... Coming off that embarrassment against Newcastle. Up against a big six in Man U. They really could start the Man U. I don't want to call it a bottle job. It probably is one if they do bottle top four. But Man U could spin out here with the injuries. It will be interesting to see. So Tottenham Man U, it's a gigantic match. If Tottenham have any top four aspirations, they have to win. If Man U... Don't want to leave it up till later in the season. If they get a big three points here, that would help them tremendously. And a draw kind of leads the team doing nothing. All right, weekend. Uh, Crystal Palace, West Ham. Six-pointer. I understand Crystal Palace are ahead of some of these teams. But West Ham losing to Liverpool with Nottingham Forest winning. They got closer to the drop zone than further away. So West Ham need a result. Crystal Palace, you know, are going to be set up to... Score with Elise and Eze. They're outstanding playmakers and goal scorers and the like. So I like Crystal Palace in that one. Brentford Forest. Brentford not playing for much. Uh, maybe one of the better finishes they could have for sure. Forest are fighting for their life. Forest are coming off a great result. Can they follow up a great result at home? Can they bring some of that energy away from the city ground? Um... I think they can certainly get a draw. Can they get a win? They could, but Brentford's a very tough team. And Tony has been scoring goals, and he didn't score on Wednesday, so you think he'll probably score on the weekend. Brighton Wolves. Brighton, again, fighting for top four. They have plenty of games at hand, but it doesn't matter if you lose the games when you play on days where everybody plays. I mean, those games at hand don't count as much when you lose the games that are already on the schedule, right? And on the days that everybody plays. So you're not making up the games at hand. But Wolves with Lobotegi. 
have done a better job. They've gotten some big results and some wins recently. Can they continue that? They go down to the South Coast. It's tough to play uh, at the Amex, as we know. It's a good uh, ground. I Wolves have played better recently. And Brighton did not have a great performance against Forrest. They struggled for sure. Uh, I can see Wolves pulling that one out. Bournemouth and Leeds at the Vitality. Six-pointer. Bournemouth will be coming off a match against Southampton. Then they're home to Leeds. It's getting crazy down the stretch of the season um, with some of these big matches, and that's another big one. Fulham against Man City. All the things Man City did could, I don't want to say fall apart on them if they just drop points at Craven Cottage, but they shouldn't drop points at Craven Cottage. Fulham aren't playing for much. They're kind of playing out the string. They will stay up. They're not in the relegation fight. They're not in a European spot or a fight for any of those roles. They don't have their striker still in Mitrovic, so I don't want to say they're just kind of playing it out for 90 minutes, but you can see City going there, getting one early and, and putting it on them just because. Man, you and Aston Villa. Uh, this is a big, big test for Villa and a big test for United. United are shorthanded. We know that. United are going to need top four for their recruitment, even if they win the FA Cup. There's a cup double for sure, and it helps them out for recruiting, but it doesn't get you Champions League football, especially if you bottle this, as we know, right? So Villa are a team that is in pretty good form that with Unai Emery, are playing really good and systematic football. United, I don't want to say struggled against Brighton, but the injuries you've seen that they're gonna they're gonna cause some problems, especially on the back end and in the midfield. So Rashford kind of carried them to a lot of one nil wins. Can he carry him to a one nil win here down the stretch? Be interesting to see. Newcastle, Southampton, that could be a routing. Liverpool, Tottenham. Uh, Liverpool need to thrash Tottenham. They have to put Tottenham in their place. And Liverpool, as we know, have to win out just to have a shot at top four. So uh, everybody knows what they got to do. And then a six-pointer in Leicester City and Everton on Monday, which will be a very, very exciting match, even though might not be a lot of goals in that one because Everton will be set up a way to not concede. But... If there is a goal, that could turn the whole match around. That's for sure. La Liga over the weekend, Real Madrid and Almeria. Barcelona hosts Real Batiste. Valladolid hosts Atletico. Syria, Napoli, Salernitana, Calcio. They could clinch the Scudetto um, on the weekend. Roma, AC Milan in a big one with Mourinho there. Turin takes on At Atalanta. Inter take on Lazio. Oh, so they did the same thing again. Roma uh, is playing AC Milan and Inter is playing Lazio. That's fun. The Milan teams are playing the Roma teams. Bologna play Juventus. And Juventus are all of a sudden, hey, we're back in Champions League. This is sick. All right. Bundesliga action. Bochum take on league leaders. Dortmund, Union Berlin face Leverkusen. Rebel Leipzig play Hoffenheim and Bayern Munich. Looking to keep pace with Dortmund play Hertha Berlin. League Un, PSG, and Laurent. Laurent. All right, uh, Seneca playoffs, Eastern Conference. The 
I'm watching this game right now. I just flipped to the Knicks as, as we record this on Wednesday night. Of course, it's a commercial, but it was at, it was 1-1 at a point in this game uh, five. But the Bruins are up 3-1. Bruins are really good. They are a really good hockey club. Uh, I don't need to tell you that if you've been watching. Tampa and Toronto. Toronto with that huge comeback gave them the 3-1 lead. Awesome scenes in Maple Leaf Square, as we know. And if they can get out of the first round, I mean, it's it's been a place where Toronto hasn't been in a long time. Can they make a run once they end this first round uh, curse? Islanders force a game six back on the island after they win game five in Carolina against the Hurricanes in their series. The New York Islanders coming back to the island. Rangers and Devils, absolutely a very weird series. The road team has won all games. In Newark, it looked like the Rangers were going to score five, six goals a game and not allow the Devils to do anything. The Young Devils couldn't do much against these tested Rangers, and then they go to the Garden, and the Rangers look like they're skating in quicksand, and the Devils are flying around them and scoring goals and making plays happen. So a absolutely can't-make-sense-of-it series. The teams that played in Game 1 and Game 2 did not play in games three or game four for either side. Um, it was not that tough Ranger team that appeared in the Prudential Center that showed up at the Garden. It was not the great team in the Devils that showed up in games three and four at the Garden that played games one and two at the Prudential Center. So I don't know what the hell to make of that series. All of a sudden, it's going to be a long series. After games one and two, you would have thought this thing is over in the Garden this week. But the Devils win both games three and four, and make it more than a series, an absolute best of three now. Out West, Seattle and Colorado, 2-2 going into Wednesday, Game 5. Count McCarr suspended for Game 5, the great defenseman for the defending cup champs in Colorado. That's a big miss for them. That'll be an interesting game. Seattle could take the 3-2 lead in their first playoff appearance, if I'm not mistaken. Minnesota and Dallas. Dallas leads that one 3-2. Stars can end it if they beat the Wild in Minnesota in Game 6. Winnipeg and Vegas. Vegas up 3-1. Vegas is good. Uh, trying to get out of the first round early. The rest up. That would be a big win if they win game five. And then probably the best series so far. Yeah, Rangers-Devils has been good, but the games haven't been great. It's just been like 2-2. It's been weird. The Oilers and Kings series, the Edmonton-LA series, great series. Edmonton's up 3-2. So many overtime games, so many comebacks, so many great goals. That, that series has been must-watch late-night television if you're a sports fan. So I encourage people to watch that if you haven't been. Basketball, I haven't watched a ton. I did watch uh, some of the Laker-Grizzly game the other night because XUC was sitting courtside. I can't believe I just admitted that. Um, but I was watching him watch the game because it was so funny because he's, that was like his first basketball game and he was on the wood for the playoff games for LeBron. Like, that's so cool. Um, and he took his buddy Buddha, who's another streamer. That is a gigantic uh, LeBron fan. I think a Laker fan as well, but a gigantic LeBron fan. So that was cool. All right. Um, PGA Tour, Mexico Open this week. It's a light field. I mean, I was looking at the tee times and the sheets and, and who's out there. It seems like it's John Rahm's tournament to lose. Tony Finau's out there, Gary Woodland there, but not a lot of the rest of the top players in the PGA Tour. So going to be interesting to see. And another really good opportunity for somebody to get their first win at a PGA Tour tournament, which would be really cool. And I'm sure for um, some of the Latin American players, obviously the Mexican players and, and – uh, players from Spanish-speaking countries, like this would be a really cool win for them in the Mexico Open. So um, a light field again. 
really Rom's tournament to lose. He's been a great, great call for this whole season, as we know, early in this tournament, early in this uh, uh, golf calendar. So we've only played one major, as we know, and there's still three majors to play. But, uh, yeah, so that's the golf for the pod. So a big NFL draft weekend. We'll recap it all on uh, next Tuesday's show. A big weekend of footy as well. Um, so we'll recap that on Tuesday's show. Is No, Champions League is not next week, so it's the week after, I believe. So no Champions League yet to talk about next Tuesday, but that's okay. But a full weekend of soccer recap, a full NFL draft to recap, all that and more on Tuesday's show. Everybody enjoy their weekend. Hopefully the weather's getting nice where you are and you can start to enjoy it. So enjoy the draft. Enjoy the footy. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Until then, peace. Football, football, and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.